Hello and welcome to the inaugural, the premiere episode of Backyard Politics. I'm your host and moderator, R.D. Kulik. I'm going to start off this first episode and probably a few episodes here forward discussing exactly what this show is. I can tell you when it was dreamed up in this fancy think tank here in Southwest Ohio is we wanted to create a podcast that was kind of like meet the press for our community. And basically what that means is we're going to discuss topics that are maybe bigger that cover everything. As a matter of fact, the topic we discussed today is a global topic, but we want to talk about how it's going to affect us personally. And moving forward, we're going to continue to do that. And how we want to work this is we want to interview local people, people that are affected, people that you know, your neighbors. And we want to talk about the issues of the time. And then we want to gather a group of people, be it uh, media people or be it just concerned citizens, to have a roundtable to discuss exactly how this issue affects all of us. And I want to say this up front with Backyard Politics and myself personally. It's very important to get very differing points of view, because I know one of the big issues we have in the the local media, let's say, and this goes for everywhere, is either it's more important to get access and means that you have to basically, whoever the powers are be, you have to basically make sure that you have favor with them. And that that's a big problem, especially in podcasting, is that we want to have favor with the local leaders and we want to be able that they'll come talk to us because we know we'll protect them. The other problem is there's no real discussion. There's no real differing opinions. Backyard politics is going to be different because, guys, in our neighborhoods, we all have different views. And we want to know how those different views can bring us to a point that we can come to a compromise and move forward on the important issues that face us. For this premiere episode, we are talking about the biggest issue that's facing everybody everywhere on the planet, especially here in Southwest Ohio. And that is the coronavirus COVID-19 crisis that we have been dealing with almost the entirety of 2020. What we did on this episode is we invited a a neighbor, somebody who has some experience when it comes to dealing with pandemics. And we brought in retired registered nurse Pat R., who her experience goes back to dealing with the AIDS crisis of the 1980s and talked with her about what they learned then, what we've learned now, and what she feels like we should be doing today. Because what's very important is we're getting a lot of advice, we're getting a lot of medical advice from people that are not medical professionals. So I sat down with Pat, and I discussed what her experience was, how she came to the point of looking at what's going on with coronavirus or COVID-19, and what she thinks we could do today. And then in the second part, uh, during our roundtable, myself, along with the founder and co-host of the Ion Loveland podcast, Pam Gross, along with Pat, we discussed how this pandemic and what it means specifically to our neighborhoods, to our communities here in Southwest Ohio. We're trying to figure out what's going on around the globe. We're trying to stop and figure out what's going on in our own country. What is going on here in our backyards? And how is this personally affecting us? I had a great time interviewing Pat. I hope you guys really take a lot away from what she's saying. And the round table, while it starts off a little bit, we're all kind of playing the field to figure out what it is. We really get into what we think our leaders are doing and not doing. And what needs to be done moving forward? And this is just the beginning. I mean, we are in the middle of the summer, and we're going to probably be talking about this again very soon. 
And I want to invite everyone out there. If you want to discuss this, I want you to come to ioncommunity.com or contact me directly, Ryan, at ioncommunity. That's I like eyeball, E-Y-E-C-O-M-M-U-N-I-T-Y.com and tell me what your views are. We want you guys on the show. This show is meant to be a discussion. So without further ado, I'm going to go right into my interview with Pat R. And before we even start, I want to thank you guys for listening. So let's get involved. Let's stay informed. And thank you again for coming to Backyard Politics. Our interview today is with Pat R. Pat R. is a resident here in Loveland, Ohio, but I'm not going to sit here and just go on and on and say all the great things about you, Pat. Why don't you introduce yourself to the audience, and uh, we'll talk about where the reason you're here and what kind of knowledge you bring to this topic. Yes, my name is Pat R., and I'm a mother of three children and 10 grandsons, which is quite an accomplishment. Oh. I can imagine my mother was the mother to four sons, and that was quite something. So It's a lot of activity going yes. on. The other thing is I've been an RN for 45 years, and I wish looking back I had written a book on by taking notes on a lot of the circumstances around that, that career, but well, I'm pleased to report that. Well, being a registered nurse, we're all 45 years, it wasn't just in this area. You worked all over the country in different places, is that correct? I worked always in Ohio. Mid-Ohio, Southern Ohio has been most of the places I've been. Excuse me for my ignorance, but I have to ask this. Were you in the emergency rooms? Were you in the office? Were you in, I mean, what kind of nurse were you? As with most nurses, we work in various areas. We're trained to work in any area of healthcare. And I have worked in the emergency room, ICU. I've been a nursing supervisor for an entire hospital. I worked in later in life in business management and healthcare, and also a lot of time has been spent in rehabilitative medicine for people with neurological conditions. So you've been, let's say, on all aspects of it. It uh, gives you, again, I'm going to, I know you don't like the word expertise, but you've seen quite a lot, and you've seen, especially here in Ohio, all of this stuff. Now, you've spent, obviously, the last few years of your career, and then in retirement here in Loveland, Ohio, and Southwest Ohio, but obviously still have that passion for public health. The reason I get up in the morning is I still think I'm going to work as a nurse, and I primarily miss all my patients. Well, let's get to the topic at hand here, because <laughs> I guarantee you, and I might be completely wrong about this, but in your 45 years as a nurse, you probably haven't seen anything quite like the coronavirus slash COVID-19 pandemic. You've seen some similar things, though. Can you give me a little information on that? We've seen similar things, but this has been very different. It's quite a, a busy topic to topic for me and my friends to discuss now, because Nurses on the front line are getting tired, and we've also n never seen the community involvement like we've seen with coronavirus. Let me ask you a question here, because this is something I get a lot. People just ask me, and I, I tell them my day-to-day my -day job is working politics, which makes me an expert at nothing but an opinion on everything. So everybody asks, well, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? The reason I have you here, Pat, is a lot of people will say, well, this isn't our first pandemic. This isn't our first uh, crisis, so to say, medical crisis. Why is this one so different? Why has this one had such an incredible impact compared to, 
I don't know, what did we have, uh, SARS or something like that back in 2010, 2012? You know a lot more about this than I do. <laughs> we had SARS. We've had MERS. Starting back in 1918, we had the Spanish flu, which killed over 50 million people across the world. And that came right after World War One, which devastated. Well, the year. soldiers brought it back. In 2002, we had SARS, which means uh, severe acute respiratory syndrome, and it's caused by a coronavirus. Does oh, that sound familiar? Yeah. Okay, so let me stop you right there because everybody, it's not, <laughs> um, it's not coronavirus per se that we're dealing with right now. We're dealing with what's called a novel coronavirus. You, like you said, coronavirus. We were talking off mic. Is is the cold? So when people think, oh my gosh, this is a whole new thing. No, when we say coronavirus, that's the type of virus this is. It's the family name of the virus. So back to what I was saying, though, why I I remember all those things. I remember seeing them on the news. As a matter of fact, my son was born in 2010, and I remember my wife had to go get the, uh, was it the bird or the swine flu shot back in late 2009. But we weren't out there wearing masks. We weren't staying away from restaurants. We weren't properly socially distanced like we are here. What makes this one so different? I think the information system that we have now, the communication through the internet, the TV, all those things did not exist years ago at the level they exist now. You know, we began testing more readily in March of this year. And it took a while to get the testing across the United States. And the One of the things that would be really good is if we could get the rapid testing to every part of the United States. But the testing makes a difference, too, because we're seeing all these positive cases. But as a nurse, I say positive cases, but how many people are in the hospital and how many deaths have have occurred because we have a large volume of positive cases. So we have to look at all that continuum And how many of those cases were there before we started testing is a big question. That's a good question because this is a lot of a lot of people come up and they say it's such a small percentage, yet it's affecting our society in such a massive way. And again, I can only come from my point of view and the things that I've discussed in a purely, utterly non-medical or scientific way. What we were always afraid of, though, is that the spread of this could lead to Obviously, the deaths are what's going to make the news. It's all spectacular. But it could lead to not just a lot of people being sick, but a lot of people being sick at the exact same time. And I know in the early days, there was a big fear of the hospitals being overrun. But I think uh, when we look at it, and I know we're trying to focus on Southwest Ohio, but if you look at it globally, what happens when a large percent of your world population is all sick at the same time, and they're not going to work? Are we kind of overblowing this, or is there another way we should be looking at this? I wouldn't say we're overblowing it. I think that in our toolbox as healthcare providers, right now, we need to look back to the AIDS breakout. People were scared to death about AIDS. They didn't understand it, and what little information had gotten out about AIDS, people were were just... Well, it's a small amount of information that got out about it. Not like we have today. You know, we didn't have governors on the TV every day and and task force talking to us about AIDS. That was an epidemic uh, between 1981 and 1987 in the United States. Since the first case in the United States, uh, we've lost 450,000 people to AIDS. 
No, obviously, because we we're not in the position on this show to discuss everyone's ages. But I remember AIDS very well because I was roughly around the same age that Ryan White, the Indiana boy who got it through a blood transfusion. Correct. And it was who passed away, obviously. So obviously, it was a big impact on my generation and the way we looked at it. And I, I think you're right. It's all these years later. There's so much we know about AIDS, but so much of the information we got back then still sticks with us. And we're afraid, like we, I, I guess the point is we were so afraid of it being able to spread. They were afraid of letting Ryan White go to school because what if he got a cut and another kid got it? Or what if he sweat? And obviously we know a lot more now. Are we in a similar situation that when we started this, the lockdowns, the shutdowns of the economy, maybe we didn't know as much about coronavirus then as we do now? Yes, it's been an evolving education. What we knew back in February and before was little to what we know today. Why I want to go back to the AIDS epidemic springboard forward to now. After the AIDS epidemic in, let's see, 1990, the healthcare profession and OSHA put together a program called Universal Precautions. I have just now started hearing more about universal precautions as it pertains to perhaps the coronavirus. Because of fear of AIDS and the unknowns with AIDS, nobody knew who was contagious. So that made fear more rampant. So in our toolbox for coronavirus, we have the same thing as we had have had and have for AIDS, and that's called universal precautions. This is based on the assumption that everybody's contagious. You're contagious, I'm contagious, and we need to protect ourselves from each other because we don't know who has coronavirus. We don't know when we walk down the street if somebody has it. So what put that put in place was washing your hands, wearing a mask, don't touch your face, wear gloves, uh, use hand sanitizer, cover your cough in your elbow or in your hand, and stand six feet apart. And then I always say, repeat. <laughs> That's We need to repeat, repeat, repeat. And I think people are getting it better now. We don't know that 100% of the cases are going to be protected because of universal precautions. But if you think of everybody wearing a mask, you'd have to be, be pretty close to somebody to get the coronavirus from somebody that has a mask on, if you have a mask on. So you're basically saying that with what we've seen, with uh, what the medical experts have looked at and where we are now, where we sit, where, you know, midsummer of 2020, we've been going through this seemingly for decades, but it's really been months now, <laughs> that these, as if we're wearing a mask, we're washing our hands, we're doing this, we're all doing this, that we can get life back to normal. I mean, I don't want to get into any speculation about vaccines or treatments or things like that. We just need to do those basic things. And as a society, if we all accept those, you feel like we could get back to a more normal state. And guess what happens? Fear decreases. When you know that what you're doing is the best tools you have in your toolbox, fear subsides. Doesn't mean it's 100%, but it's pretty close. I want to leave you with one more question here that kind of has to do with our region. We're going to talk in the roundtable more about statistics and things like that. But you look at the news, you look at New York, New York City, mainly California, Texas, Florida, you, uh, Arizona. You hear these things. You hear states every day being added to these lists. But Ohio, 
Ohio seems to, I mean, we don't seem as bad as our neighbors. We don't seem as bad as Kentucky or Indiana. We're a much bigger state. And then especially when I follow, obviously, because of my job, what's going on, a lot of the issues that we may have in Ohio are up in the northern part of the state. Actually, down here in Hamilton, Claremont, Warren County, it doesn't seem quite as bad. Do you have any opinion, speculation on if Ohio's doing well? And if we are, why are we? I think across the Midwest, you find people that are basically more compliant if people of of a position are telling them to do these things. They may question it. They may think, I'm not sure this is working, but I think they're more compassionate in some ways with their heart when they wear a mask. They're not saying it's working 100%. The other issue is some of the statistics in the northern part of Ohio are in the larger cities, and that's always going to be a higher concentration of the virus. Okay, Pat, thank you so much. I'm going to assemble my team of media experts, and we we hope you stay and discuss with us some of the more interesting aspects and what our opinions are of not just the coronavirus itself, but how it's being discussed and talked about and how people see it here in Southwest Ohio. Thank you again, Pat. Thank you. Backyard Politics is brought to you by Ion Community. Are you a storyteller who needs to reach your audience? Are you an elected official who needs to reach voters? Are you a small business owner who wants to reach new clients? Are you a government entity who needs to communicate better with the community? That's what Ion Community is all about. We are a family of podcasts that talk to your community. We're talking about the audience that you need. With our family of podcasts, including Ion Loveland, which just discussed the politics of Loveland, Ohio, High Heels in Politics, which looks at politics from the viewpoint of a woman's perspective, and backyard politics, where we talk about what's going on in your backyard. Ion Community is here to serve your needs. You need to speak to your constituents, your customers, and your voters. Ion Community is the way you're going to do that. Come to IonCommunity.com today. That's E-Y-E-C-O-M-M-U-N-I-T-Y.com and find out how we can help you reach the people you most need to be speaking to. That's ioncommunity.com. Now, let's get back to the conversation. Welcome back to the roundtable portion of our show. And I, again, I am here joined by Pat R. She decided to stay along and be a good sport and continue the discussion where we get more into the opinions we have about what's going on with the topic at hand. So welcome back, Pat. Thank you. And then we also want to welcome the founder and CEO of Ion Community and the co-host of the Ion Loveland podcast. That's Pam Gross. How are you, Pam? I'm good, Ryan. Thanks, Pat, for hanging out. All right. So I want to start because we really want to focus this on our region here. Let me ask a question. You guys discuss it here. Is this pandemic, it's obviously a huge problem around the world. Is it as big of a problem here in Southwest Ohio? I think as evidenced by testing that we do have the coronavirus in our surrounding area. When I think surrounding area, I'm talking about Warren, Claremont, and Hamilton counties, as they pertain to Loveland, that's our counties. And the testing does show increased numbers. It also shows that the deaths are going down. And I think we can feel more confident as we move forward that treatment options and how we're handling the coronavirus, if hospitalized, is working much better now than it did 
back in February and March. I agree with that. I think the statistics has borne out the fact that this has been a problem, particularly, I think, in we've had a lot of cases in Claremont County, and we've also had a lot of cases in Hamilton County. Yes. I know that in Hamilton County, a lot of the problems have been in more of the denser populated areas. I also know from an article that I read today, which was surprising, there was a nursing home over on the west side that had 16 patients that died from the coronavirus. Wow. And that was the first time we had heard of that. I also think, though, that we have been through the education process of making people understand that you have to wear a mask, that you need to social distance, and that you need to Stay Not in small groups. St- stay in small groups. Wash your hands, which I'm, we've said this on our own show <laughs> ourselves. I am amazed that we have to tell people to wash their hands. I mean, that is scary that when is, you think about it. It's just frightening to me. But the good news is, is that it does seem that the, that the cases for the sickness itself ha- is calming down. And I think a lot of that is through the fact that people are heeding the advice. Plus, more tracking has gone into recovered cases where people have been infected, but they've recovered. And that's helpful information to get out to our area also. Pat, you have some statistics of the, of the counties here, the number of cases, uh, all that stuff. Can you give us some of those statistics? For the past three days, the number of events or positive tests have been down and the number of deaths have been down for Hamilton County, Claremont, and Warren County. Hamilton County total, since we started testing, has had 9,248 positive tests and 248 deaths. Claremont County has had 859 positive tests and 11 deaths, and Warren County has had 1,669 positive cases and 35 deaths. It looks like we're turning the corner. Fingers crossed, we're coming down. We, we talked about in the first half, the Spanish flu. And there was the so-called dreaded second wave that came around. And there was a theory early on that the coronavirus would probably die out a little bit during the summer because people are going to be outdoors in heat. And unfortunately, we did not see that. So do you feel like with how well it seems like we're doing, and I ask this question because I do feel like Southwest Ohio has done a pretty darn good job. Are we in a position that we can handle that second wave a little bit better? Or is it something we just have to be aware it's going to happen and things maybe are going to get worse before they get better? All indications are that we better know how to treat this coronavirus if someone needs hospitalization. There are no perfect treatments that we have. But what we do have is the ever so complicated use of hydrochloroquine with azithromycin and zinc, remdesivir. We're working on vaccines like there's no tomorrow. I think this is the fastest we've ever tried to get a vaccine together. Also, we're looking at plasma and how we can transfer antibodies from one person that's had the disease to somebody else to help them fight the virus. We have antibody testing. And I think once we step up the testing where we have rapid result testing, when we know within a day whether we have it or not, we're going to see an either uh, even more reduction in cases. 
Well, and this is more of a question for you, Pam, but Pat, please, please chime in on this. You talked about the different treatments and all that stuff, and it's great. And look, I'm not going to go to a doctor and tell them I'm a Republican or a Democrat, so give me the Republican or Democrat <laughs> treatment. <laughs> How did this become political? I mean, what just treatments alone, because we are going to come into a stage where more than likely we're going to see an uptick in all this stuff. I mean, why the heck did it become so political? Well, I think in, in one of the questions that you asked Pat during her interview had to do with we've had and, and Pat, you know, provided a bunch of other pandemics and other things that we have dealt with in our country. What made this one different? And I know that one of the things that you said, it had to do with the fact that the information system, the delivery of those communications is a little bit different. I agree with that because I think that's part of, I think there's two things going on here. I think one has to do with, for whatever reason, it seems like every issue that we have in America is now viewed through a political lens. That is troubling to me. And I, I don't understand it. And it's a, it's very bad for our country in a long term point of view, because we don't we won't get things solved if we're always looking at things through a, you know, a political lens. And it's like what I, you know, when we were having lunch, Pat, what I said is, how in the world did we get to this wearing a mask is now a political issue? I mean, that's absurd. I mean, it's just absurd. You wear the mask, don't wear the mask. But it just I don't know. It's just silly to me. But the second part of that, too, has to do with the communications itself, the information itself. Look at how we communicate now. I mean, number one, it's constant. It's 24 hours a day. Got all kinds of talking heads everywhere, myself included. (laughs) But I think that's another reason why it's become what it's become is because we are literally talking about it 24 hours a day with different opinions through different, we're back to looking at it through a political lens again, instead of looking at it as a health issue. For whatever reason, it became a political issue. And it should have always been a health issue. And that brings me to one of the things I want to bring up, because I found this interesting. Every county has a health director. Do you know that the health directors don't necessarily have to be medical professionals or doctors? I mean, when I think of the health director, and I'm going to use Warren County as an example, because the Warren County health director is not a medical doctor. It's not. A, and I'm like, wait a minute, how can you be the health director? <laughs> and I think, again, now we're back to why it's being viewed through a political lens, because we don't know how those people got their jobs. And now we're finding out they're not even health professionals. That's a great thing to bring up, because we can go deep, deep into all of this stuff. But something everybody needs to understand, and I'm not making judgment one way or the other on this. When you are talking about health directors or when people talk about Dr. Fauci or Dr. Burks, these are people that work with public money. These are people that, and now what they're trying to do is they're trying to work with the private sector in order to create these treatments and these vaccines. A lot of this gets muddied because it's a the constant fight between the public and the private. I mean, what can be done? Can anything be done? Because in the end, if we get a vaccine, we have to potentially deliver this to 350 million people. And that's just, we're talking about the United States. So this struggle, this political, all this other stuff, what can be done to just get beyond that? Do you have any ideas? A couple of months ago, as I thought about the coronavirus and the implementation of different treatment mythologies, I was thinking that it would be great if 
each community had someone in the medical community, such a physician or physician and nurse, somebody that could help direct them on what is good for their community and lay out implementation guidelines. I see people struggling, even at state levels, knowing how to implement this on the front line. And I think we need to go more to our medical community and rely less on political figures to figure this out. And that's a good point because, and again, I'm not saying this to defend or to, well, to defend Governor DeWine and Dr. Amy Acton. But the truth is, is that Governor DeWine relied on Dr. Amy Acton because she was a doctor, because she was a health professional. And I think that that was the right thing to do. Again, for whatever reason, you, and you said this in your interview again, and I agree, and I, and I thought this was very astute, was that what you really would like to have seen in the very beginning was less of the politicians, maybe less of the theorists, like a Dr. Fauci, right? Because, and maybe more of the frontline people who were helping address whatever this issue is, because I think that's how we got back into this political mess is because we didn't have enough of the frontline people actually, number one, even being approached to ask. And I think that's why it kind of became, you know, this political football instead of a true health issue. Let me paint this picture for you. I know we've all heard about nursing homes being so vulnerable with the coronavirus. Nursing homes, unfortunately, are petri dishes for any kind of bacteria or viruses that come along. Their loved ones come in and visit them, and they want them to come in and visit them. The healthcare workers, we rely on them to be free of disease when they come in to work, et cetera, et cetera. But I know you've all heard stories about the nursing homes. What would have worked, I believe, much better is the medical director standing in the driveway of the nursing homes when they were sending positive COVID patients back to nursing homes in some states saying, you cannot bring them here. Let me help you figure out where they can go safely for the time being until they test negative. That would have been more of an impact and also good direction from the medical community. I try to ask how we make this non-political, but let's be honest, everything becomes political in every way aspect. And I agree with what you say, Pat, on this notion of people needed to basically stand up for themselves. Here's the one defense I'll give in some aspects. And I was doing a little bit of work on this in early March. My kid was still in school. My wife was still going to her job. I mean, life was still kind of going around, but I'd be on these phone, on these phone calls. It would be near apocalyptic. Right. And saying how, look, guys, we're going to have to lock down for three weeks and the army's going to have to deliver food and we're all going to have to do this. Or somebody said, everybody's going to have to stand exactly six feet apart for the next 14 days. And we're like, we can't do that. There's no way we can do that. Who would have known it would have been six months? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So that's kind of my point as we move forward here. There's obviously the national election going on Uh, here in Ohio. 
we have a couple of congressional elections. The first congressional election, as a matter of fact, between Steve Sabat and Katie Schroeder is a lot of money is being pumped into that race. There's other congressional races that are going on. This is the biggest issue, how the coronavirus is. There's a kind of a multi-level, multi-layers that I want to go with this. Do you think we should be judging our leaders on their response to it? And following up to that, do you think we should also forgive them for some of their shortcomings? Because in the last few months, things constantly change. Personally, I think the answer to that question is yes. I think that we are asking people, even though they're elected representatives, to be something that they may not necessarily be. They're human beings, just like everyone else. I think, though, also coupled with that is the voters need to pay closer attention to the people they elect. And I think that 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 this has exposed that. And I do hope that the voters do start looking at that because we need people who have because because at the end of the day, we're, we're talking about this being a health issue, but there's also parts of it that are very that are always going to be in the political arena, particularly when we're talking about shutting things down, run the economy, how do we get it back up? Those are all political kind of kind of they're going to require political solutions. And that is where I think you do have to start paying attention to who in the heck it is you're voting for. Because you need also people who are honest, who are transparent but also have the courage to do the things that need to be done. And they're not necessarily always politically popular, but they're the right thing to do. Medicine is just a small small part of what the elected officials need to be able to deal with. But I think people need to feel that they do have some compassion around the issue and that they are looking to find the right answer. They may not have it today, as we haven't had it since January. It's evolved. The virus has evolved. The knowledge has evolved. But forgiveness is top of the list because this has been a beast. Yeah. And I agree with what you just said, Pat. And I and I will add one other word to that. I think it's also important in the political arena for all of our, all of our elected representatives to also be curious. They need to find out answers to things or to look into things and be curious of things instead of just saying, I'm not wearing a mask because it's my political right. That That's silly. Here's my penultimate question on this is because I want to look for a little bit of hope, but maybe it's not there, but we need to be prepared for this. What happens next year? And what happens 2021 hits, the elections are over, there's a new Congress in, New or old president, doesn't matter who. We have gone through a year now where, honestly, my family, we would have spent a couple thousand dollars on a vacation at least. We didn't do that this year. We're probably not going to be flying for quite a bit now. We sure as heck are not going on any cruise ships. (laughs) (laughs) No. I can can tell you that. The poor cruise industry. Talk talk about a Petri dish. (laughs) I, I mean... My wife, I don't know if she's going to be going back to work every day. I mean, she works, but is she going to be working from home? Society has fundamentally changed. Right. The coronavirus has changed us. My son's hair is as long as it's ever been, and it's glorious. But it's I say that because I have no hair. What does this look like on the other side? What are your thoughts? And are we prepared economically? Are, are our government officials prepared? I think one of the things that 
is hopeful is that we are steamrolling ahead with several companies on a vaccine. And in my recent reading, we are not sure how long the immunity will last if you've had the virus. So it looks like it will be a yearly vaccine, at least for a while, once they roll it out. But that is some hope at the end of the tunnel for Nick for 2021. I know everybody wants to get rid of 2020 about right now. I saw a joke. Somebody said in 2015, if they asked you what you're going to be doing five years from now, you lied. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because you're right. You hear people all the time. Oh my gosh, I just want 2020 to be over. Uh, 2021 is from, I don't know from a health perspective. I think I, I agree with what Pat just said. I think from a health perspective, we're getting a better understanding of this. I also think that we are now starting to rely on the people we should be relying on. I also think that we are also list, we're not only relying on them, we're actually listening to them. But more importantly, they're also now starting to speak out more and more because, you know, we talked about the communications earlier and all the talking heads and everything. I've seen more doctors now and nurses on a lot of these programs than they ever were in the beginning. I feel better about that because these are people who do know what they're, they're practicing, what they're preaching. 2021, I got to tell you from a, as you know, I own an accounting firm, a small business owner. I'm very concerned about economically of 2021, because as anyone who really knows anything about the economy itself and finances and and how all of that works. We don't really see the effects of things until a year and a half later. I think we're going to have some major challenges uh, that are going to be coming up from an economic point of view. And again, we're back to making sure that we elect good people who understand how the economy works, understands businesses, understands finances, and makes good decisions right now in anticipation of things that may not be that great in 2021? That's my very long answer no, to, no, to no, your that's, question. No, that's what I wanted. So here's the final question I want to put out there. Obviously, everybody that I believe that is in elective office right now, be it the mayor of Cincinnati, John Cranley, the mayor of Loveland, Kathy Bailey, the Hamilton County, Claremont County, Warren County commissioners, all the way up to Governor DeWine, this has probably been the biggest crisis they've all ever had to handle. And you, all three of us obviously follow these things very, very closely. Locally, how do you feel our leaders have handled this? We talk about this almost every week. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I think they have not done a good job at all. And if I had to rate them from an A to an F, I'd give them a D. The reason I would is because they were always in a hurry to open bars, which we've now later found that is a problem, is problematic. I don't believe that from a local perspective here, our council ever really took this as seriously as it was. And I think you could see that in the response from city manager, Dave Kennedy, not closing playgrounds, not taking hoops off of basketballs, uh, off the basketball courts, those kind of things. And that was in the beginning. That was even after the governor had given all the mandates. So from, from my perspective, from a local level, for whatever reason, I don't think it was as treated as seriously as it actually was. I think that they got a big, <laughs> I think it was a big gift that our community was not hit as hard as other communities in regards to the virus, because 
it would have been far worse than it was because I don't honestly think that, that they took it as seriously as they should have. But then on the other side, though, if you look at, uh, like I said, John Cranley, the mayor of Cincinnati, mm-hmm. or the commissioners of all three counties, they kind of did guide the leaderless cities, the leaderless areas, all the way up to Governor DeWine. Now, having said that, I will be the first to say I thought Governor DeWine did a fine job at the beginning. I did not agree with moving the election. I still don't agree with that. I understand the notion. I think he did it coming from a good place. I think this 10 o'clock curfew for bars is beyond stupidity. So I guess my point, and I want to get your opinion on this too, is, yeah, there are some very local places that, that were leaderless, Loveland being a great example of this. But on the other side, I think we have leaders like like Governor DeWine that's done a good job, but now is not. I just, I, I don't know. I, I get frustrated. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I, I think Miami Township needs to get major props because I think Miami Township in the very beginning, they closed their parks and they not only took the nets and things down uh, so that people weren't, you know, they didn't encourage people to come. It sent a very clear message that this was serious, and they taped up all of their playground equipment. So from a local perspective, we did have a locality that did an excellent job. And fortunately, I I don't know why Loveland did not, but I agree with you on DeWine. I think in the very beginning, I think he he did what he needed to do. I think at the thing with the election was just disastrous. And quite frankly, I think it went downhill from there. <laughs> and I don't get the 10 p.m. thing either. I, I don't understand how you can get to coronavirus by 9 p.m. But if you drink after 10 p.m., I don't know. I, it doesn't make any sense. It's stupid. As people drive through Loveland, many have reported to me, especially back when our weather started improving and maybe in April, if it wasn't pouring rain, They'd say, oh, I just drove through Loveland and people didn't have masks on. They were gathering on the street. This was a time that, you know, it was it was predicting to get worse. And some of the drinking that goes on uh, just kind of, people aren't going to wear masks if they're drinking. It just doesn't go together too well. So When they become more reckless. Yeah. Right. Unless you're me, I become brilliant. <laughs> oh, I- very, very. <laughs> I also become charming. <laughs> I am not one of these people that judges others about whether they wear a mask or not. But if I could do anything, I would produce masks that have a heart on them on one side of the face because we're not just doing it for yourself, ourselves, to protect ourselves. It's all we know to do now. Right now, it's really the only tool we have in our toolbox in prevention as far as Mask, distancing, washing hands, wearing gloves, etc. And I think we just need to do that. It's just like do it. And if you don't want to do it, then and you see people without a mask, just stay six feet away from them. We need to do it. Okay, guys, thanks a lot for the discussion here as we wrap up. But before we leave, Pat, you are. You're about town, so you don't really have a Twitter or Facebook or anything yet. After this, you're going to become famous, and you'll need one. <laughs> well, but Pam, I know you do. So people want to follow you. Where can they? Where can they see all your brilliant music? Oh. Sober or not? Well, you can go to our ioncommunity.com website. You can also send us an email. You can send me an email at pam at ioncommunity.com. If you want to send Ryan an email, you can send him one at ryan at ioncommunity.com. You can follow us on Twitter. I have a personal Twitter at Loveland Pam. 
as well as a Twitter for Ion Loveland and Ion Community. Well, thank you guys again. And I want to thank you, the audience, for tuning in. This is our first episode, but we're going to continue to move this forward. Again, this is the Meet the Press for Southwest Ohio. Here you guys can listen to the podcast, Backyard Politics. You find it on the website, Ion Community, and you can subscribe to it wherever your podcasts are. There is Backyard Politics. If you'd like to be a guest on Backyard Politics or be part of the media panel, you don't have to be media. You just have to have a voice. You can contact me, like Pam said, Ryan, R-Y-A-N, at Ion Community. That's I like eyeball, E-Y-E. On O N community C O M M U N I T Y. You guys can follow us there, and please check out. We also have an Ion Community Patreon. So you like this content and you want to come in and support us, please go over there. That's Ion Community with Patreon. Again, we thank you guys, and I want to mimic what Pat said here: wear your mask, do it for all of us, and uh, we'll see you next time on Backyard Politics. <laughs>